0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 99, the one about the Nemesis roller coaster refurb, AI generated content, and the film Tremors. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. It's episode 99 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, and as always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, (laughs) I'm joined by a man who is on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome all the way from La France, Monsieur
1: Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, and a pleasure, as always, to spend some time with the man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing Planning podcast and the author of Cat's Mass and Marketing Plans, all the way from Scotland, Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh,
0: fantastic. Pascal, as I said, episode 99. Did you think when three years ago, as we were stewing away under the first <laughs> lockdown, when we had this idea of starting this podcast, did you think that we would be
1: approaching... Just a few weeks away, episode 100. No, I mean, just the, the number 100 and the number of years, uh, not at all, not at all. And what is incredible, uh, because actually my wife was asking me, you know, how long might you think, you know, do you think you, you might continue with Roger? I said, well, right now, in terms of how it feels, every time we do it, it's such a joyous moment. It doesn't feel like I want to stop, but uh, there we are. No, it's fun, and uh, it, it gets us
0: thinking. It gets us thinking. Mm-hmm. We mull, mull over ideas. It, it inspires us for our own businesses. Hopefully, it inspires the people who are listening and watching for their businesses as well, and let's face it, there's so much happening in the marketing industry at the moment with all this all this stuff about AI, good and bad. You know, We are not going to run out of um, content anytime soon to talk about, and lots of films for us to review as well (laughs) talking of which talking of which we are actually going to be going way back to 1990 this week to talk about the film that you've chosen for us and it's
1: all about monsters isn't it yes oh thank you very much for agreeing to uh, go for tremors tremors this incredible um horror comedy that in, in indeed is both a story of grit and determination from the filmmakers producers and cast but also in terms of their approach to marketing and the kind of um, back and forth between that independent spirit and the studio marketing machine and i think it's gonna be fascinating to explore that Yeah, and of course, this film was released in
0: 1990, and I watched it for the first time two nights ago. So (laughs) I've got a few things to say on that, but we will have to wait until we get to the film marketing segment. And before we get to the film marketing segment, we've got to do everything else. So let's begin,
1: as always, with In The News. And we begin with Twitter, who is accused of false advertising. Despite removing verification for hundreds and thousands of accounts last week, Twitter has backtracked and reinstated its blue tick for some users. Bud Light's marketing boss takes leave of
0: absence following the backlash that their marketing created by using the TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney to mark her one-year
1: anniversary of publicly identifying as transgender. Danger Dench has returned for Money Supermarket's latest campaign which sees the seven money-saving expert entrusted with helping seven different people across seven different cities save serious money. The latest GFK consumer confidence barometer shows consumer
0: confidence has risen for the third month running but without concrete good news on the wider economy the UK is still a long way from, re- from emerging from this protracted
1: period of collective gloomy sentiment. Mm, While well, the co-op is following the example of supermarket rivals Sainsbury's and Tesco's by offering price discounts to loyalty scheme members. A refund of £2 per pound spent can be earned and paid into a digital wallet account. Pets at Home has relaunched its brand identity with a new
0: creative platform which looks to unite all the different elements of the businesses which also include
1: Vets for Pets and Pets Grooming. UK sandwich shop pret a Manger will soon open its first store in India. According to Pret's CEO Panu Cristo, the shop's frontage and interior will be a recreation of its UK shops, but the food will be adapted to local preferences and habits. And finally, BrewDog has brought back its infamous
0: gold can competition, which originally led to complaints last year when solid gold cans turned out to be gold-plated. It says it has checked the small print this time. I actually (laughs) quite like that. Uh, we've, We've talked about BrewDog a few times on the show before, haven't we, Pascal? And they always do things a little bit quirky, actually, admittedly. Sometimes they upset the apple cart a bit, don't they? They upset a mm. few people. Um, and they have been criticised because of their association with um, the World Cup in Qatar. But I quite like this because, yes, they did create a little bit of um, annoyance last year when they claimed, not that anybody should have really believed them, I guess, that they had solid gold beer cans, which actually just turned out to be gold-plated ones. And it was a bit of a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory vibe I think, but I like the way that they've almost admitted that mistake by saying this year, that they are gold plated because we've gone away and we've checked the small print. Mm.
1: Yeah, they do that. But, but also, and maybe that's just what happens, you know, with communication. When I first came across the the expression, solid gold, I didn't take it literally myself. I mm. thought it was the expression about being genuine, about, ah, being, yeah. you know, about, yeah, about yeah. quality and so on, because it, that's the expression. You know, I mean, much younger people than you and I would say that's solid. Like, you know, And then that means that it's obviously a high quality or, or uh, care attention has been spent on it. But yeah, they, they do that. But, but, but maybe that's also part of the territory of when you do many, many campaigns and you, 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 you are in that spirit of experimentation, if I may use the pun, you're not going to hit gold every single time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. Now,
0: let's just go back to the first news item, Pascal, we talked about, which was Twitter and yep. this whole business around this blue tick. Honestly, I, I mean, just, just for anybody that doesn't know if you have a blue tick on Twitter pre prior to Elon Musk taking over, the, the blue tick was almost verification that you were who you were. And blue ticks were usually given to people like journalists or famous celebrities or well-known speakers. So people like Deborah Meaden um would have a blue tick somebody like the president of the united states would have a blue tick etc etc and one of the things that musk's done is he's decided to take the blue tick away from everybody and if you want to have a blue tick you've got to buy this twitter blue which is about 11 dollars a month or eight dollars a month depending upon whether you sign up on desktop or on mobile and everybody's losing their cookies over this so on the, on the one hand you've got all the people who did have blue ticks before getting really annoyed that they're losing their blue ticks and then twitter have sort of backtracked a bit because elon musk has said well i'll tell you what i'll buy twitter blue for these people who are annoyed so some of them have got their blue ticks back but it doesn't say verified by twitter it still says that they're subscribed to twitter blue so it's basically musk is paying for it and then you've got a load of these other celebrities that have been saying anybody who has a blue tick now i'm going to unfollow because if you have a blue tick that means you're supporting musk by paying into twitter so it just seems to me that twitter is
1: descending further and further into the gutter what do you think it just feels like there's been no Thinking about this because all you have to do is get a few bright people. There must be some left at Twitter, not not, not just in Musk, and do some scenario planning mm. and kind of go. Well, what what is likely uh, reactions from good, bad, and and ugly, and and more importantly, your point about the the origin of the blue tick was essentially because of copycat accounts. So. Someone who was obviously a, a real brand, you know, personal brand, or indeed a organizational brand would go back to Twitter and say, no, no, this is not me. Somebody's is pretending, pretending to be me and either sharing false information or whatever. So say, well, we're going to do that to solve this problem. There can only be one Roger Edwards, so your account would be um, you know, verified through a process of, and you're going to get a blue tick so that the, the copycats um, will be essentially uh, found out. So now you're in a position where you can have a blue tick by uh, paying your $8 or $11 a month. And what's happened is people have done that. So when the brands have had their blue tick removed, then the liars and the cheaters went, went back on Twitter with fake accounts. The whole thing's a mess. Absolutely. Absolutely right. I mean... <sighs> I've,
0: I've long since thought wouldn't it be easy just to solve this by saying if you want to have a Twitter account you've got to upload some piece of identification that proves who mm-hmm. you are and therefore everybody gets verified and that's the end of it and that would solve a lot of problem with these copycat accounts but of course we know that people like to have anonymous accounts on things like Twitter possibly because they like they want to troll people possibly because they want to be um you know a bit aggressive whatever it might be and and to a certain extent, maybe Twitter and the social media platforms has pandered to that anonymity, but it mm. seems to me there's an easy way to fix this. But I don't know whether I would pay for it. Not at the moment.
1: <laughs> no, no, and and you're right. The, the backlash around oh, you want one of those who've paid for for the blue tick, and suddenly yeah. your own kind of um, you know credibility. Has been empered by that. It is just very, very difficult. But ultimately, I'm sorry to say, Roger, it's down to lack of thinking from the outset. And that's unforgivable. Yeah. I think uh, we we go on about strategy a lot
0: on the marketing, (laughs) uh, on the uh, Two Geeks in the Marketing podcast. And This is a clear lack of strategy. They're just making it up as they go along. It's almost as if every day is a new day, and every day they just wing it, and it's not good enough. Mm. So the other one I wanted to just um, get your opinion on was this whole idea of uh, co-op joining other supermarkets like Sainsbury's and Tesco. And offering price discounts to loyalty scheme members. Now, again, there's been a bit of a backlash in the UK media about this, saying that it's unfair. I don't have a problem with it. You know, we've got loyalty scheme with Tesco. We don't shop in um, Sainsbury's often enough to have one. Um, And every year, Tricia gains enough of these vouchers to get a significant discount off our Christmas shopping and that's what you get for being part of a loyalty scheme. Is it any different than joining the executive club of British Airways and, and getting uh, discounts on flights? Uh, I have to say, I don't get particularly uh, excited about two p <laughs> per pound. It doesn't feel to me as if that's going to that's going to um, help me much in the current um, economic climate. But uh, what do you think? Is it is it it's, it's okay, isn't it?
1: It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, what, what I will say is if you really want to compete, um, it would be down to the messaging, down to, you know, the execution. I know that there's been recently some, uh, kerfuffle, I think, between Lidl and one of the others. Forgive me. Memory is failing me. It may have been Tesco's or Sainsbury's, whereby, um, some of the messaging and felt, you know, very, very much like a, a, a copy, uh, very much like the Caterpillar scenario. <laughs> so, so for me, I am almost unimpressed by the lack of novelty about it so most like well you know let's sort of follow the the trend um that there, there has to be supplementary ways for your um loyalty scheme members to feel like the loyalty is being re- rewarded so the 2p to a pound is is one uh, I think there has to be other things that I'm sure the customer service and marketing team can can kind of come up with yeah so, well, this week the news has, um, has
0: been a quite, quite a bit of hype, actually, quite a bit of hype. So I think mm. it's probably time to try to bring the hype levels down a, a bit and move on to our next section of the show, which is always one of my favourites, and it is content spotlights. Well, in this part of the show, Pascal and I pick on a piece of content that's caught our attention. It could be a podcast, it could be an article, it could be a video. So Pascal, tell me, what are you
1: looking at this week? So this week's an article, and what is interesting, it's the author that got my attention as opposed to the title, and I'm going to see why in a moment. Now, the title to begin with is as follows, AI-generated content <laughs> is the new floor. and the reason why you just heard a moment to go, Roger, chuckle is because in the green room, we're just expressing our despair at the amount of content from articles to infographics and more where the term AI is inserted in there, a lot of it making false claims. But I'm going to come back to that because the reason why I'm always delighted to see Range Fishkin uh, appearing in my feed, in this case, he was on my Flipboard app, is because since the early 2000s, when he was working um, at Moz, to me, he's been one of the many who were the voice of reason. So actually at a time where on occasion there's a lot of nonsense and a lot of kind of um, inflated claims and bloated information, people like Rens Fiske and many others, um, they bring a bit of calm. And what has been great about his work, he's always been a champion of content good content informed by audience insights putting customers first and so on and he's done some of the best best kind of um, videos tutorials on coming up with content ideas away from the machinery Currently, his work is as the founder of SparkToro, which is a platform that can allow you, in fact, to discover what your audience is, is interested in to inform, you know, your, your strategy. So back to the AI generated content is the new floor. And this is all to do with floor and ceiling. So this idea of, uh, you know, the lowest dom- common denominator and what is essentially possible. And you must all read this article because you, you, you're going to get um, a real kick out of it. You're going to you know, have a sigh of relief like me saying, so that's not, not just me saying the insanity that is out there and others trying to be the voice of reason. But pretty much what he's saying is with what's happening, it, our strategy needs to be informed by this need for our content to be better than what AI can produce. Because if it's not, it's not even worth making. And then there's a incredibly uh, simple diagram, but very powerful one, where it talks about the history of the minimum bar for content. So I'm just going to go through it with you because it's absolutely great. So in 1995 to the early 2000s, basically content um could be anything it was better than nothing essentially 2002 uh, your content had to be better than what the competition had done with their seo effort 2009 it had to be better what was on page two of google 2013 better than what buzzfeed style content meals were spitting out <laughs> so essentially the listicles and all the nonsense that you have seen back then 2019 Better than what you know was pushed by the the platforms like um, Google and many others, actually by social media in what I call the zero click answer, which we explore on Content Spotlight. And of course, in two thousand and three, your content has to be better than what Chat GPT can create. So, but the reaction is, but I can't. I'm not as good at Chat GPT. I'm not as good as AI, and so on. And he puts he spent some time to remind all of us, please understand those large language models such as machine learning and AI have been trained on your content. Right? So the the, the bar basically is simply that it's a bit faster, but crazily, and we had you know that 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 kind of rant some weeks ago, I was saying to you, so chat GPT, should your for example your book, Cat Science Marketing Plans, be available online, would be stealing your content, Roger and just rephrase it and paraphrase it using essentially historical um, language so ChatGPT is almost uh, our competitor and the good thing is it is not it's not that good yet I grant you because it's going to learn to mimic even better but um, Using, obviously, a reference to other experts, Orange Fiske reminds us that as creators, we have three very, very important advantages to be better content creators, storytellers, and engaging. We have emotions. And I mean, real one, not um, mimicking. I mean, Ch- GPT essentially has the emotion kind of um, spectrum of a, a sociopath. You know, we we know that. There is an advantage that for us is novelty. We get excited by novelty. We don't like to repeat the past. And we have, of course, limitless creative insights. When um, Rens Fishkin has done the test with his colleagues, you know, he said, you've never seen anyone going on ChatGPT and the others reading the content and go, oh my God, that is amazing. That is a very, very, valid point. Oh, wow, I never thought of this before. it's just not the reaction you get. Well, the reaction you get is, man, I've got to to spend an hour editing all this because it's not that good, which is uh, the point you made a a fortnight ago, Roger, with your own test. So, The point is, the floor for content in terms of its quality is higher. It's higher, but don't misunderstand that with essentially um, outside of of your reach. And excitingly, which is the point that Brent Fiskin is is making, the ceiling doesn't exist. Basically, it's down to our imagination. And the good news is, that's always been the case since the get-go maybe the people who are getting so excited about chat gtp
0: just aren't that creative themselves you know know, maybe that's the thing but you know i I, interestingly enough the other day i um decided to see whether chat gtp could do a summary of one of my talks um again i just like playing with these things to see Mm. what the boundaries are and it actually created a summary of something completely different and I've still actually got got it in the um, in the history. So it just goes to show that it doesn't work sometimes and it makes stuff up. So you have to check it as well. So yeah, it, it might give you a a a mediocre first draft, but you really still have to do a hell of a lot of work on top of it. No, I like Ran Fishkin's stuff, um, Mm. Pascal, and and I will definitely read this one in detail a little bit later once we finish the show. Now, I'm going to tell you about... A roller coaster this week, Pascal. This is okay. a really different content spotlight. Very, very different. And I have to say, I only decided to do this about 20 minutes before we started recording. I actually had a different content spotlight in mind for today. But when I saw this, it absolutely and utterly blew me away. Now, there is a roller coaster at Alton Towers in the United Kingdom. It's called Nemesis. Have you heard of it? Yes. Of course. It was built in uh, in the UK in 1993 so it's 30 years old and at the time it was one of the very first suspended roller coasters which means that the cars actually hang below the track as opposed to ride on top of the track so it's a very very different experience now. Alton Towers itself as a theme park, as a resort, has a lot of planning issues in that the local council have always been really harsh with them. So any of the rides that they build there can only be a certain height, i.e. they can never build higher than the trees. So quite a lot of the rides that they build at Alton Towers, they have to tunnel under the ground to get the 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 distance that they want and they originally i mean this is 30 years ago as i said but they originally came up with this idea of this roller coaster the nemesis being an alien being that was actually trapped under the ground see the subtle hint there to the Mm -hmm. what we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about later on (laughs) an alien trapped (laughs) under the ground so this roller coaster is very much buried and a lot of of the um, experiences going through tunnels and 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 down into dips during in the ground, and this whole idea of the a of it being an alien has been the story that surrounded this ride for the last thirty years, and indeed they created this imaginary organization called the Phalanx, which apparently takes care of this alien and makes sure it doesn't burst out and start terrorizing the local um, community. Now, of course, this roller coaster has been around for thirty years, and the track is pretty much worn out. And they took the decision that they are actually going to retrack it, which effectively means replacing pretty much, I think, ninety percent of the entire ride is going to be completely retracked. But it's just the way that, and I've only really just discovered this over the last few days. It's the way that they've gone about building a genuine sort of almost like science fiction film around this whole thing that's just blown me away. So back in um November at the end of the season, when Alton Towers is coming to the end of the season to close down, all of a sudden they had all of these big black trucks arrived, all with these phalanx um logos on them. And all of these trucks had these people inside them dressed in either red overalls or white overalls. And they they partitioned off the ride and there's all these men with these um, big overalls <laughs> on and there was an announcement and it was it was put out as a video on on youtube and there's been many videos that have followed it with the head of the phalanx now the phalanx the head of the phalanx guy looks a bit like a man in black from the film so he's got the black um, suit on and the, and the um uh, the sunglasses etc and they're saying that. We think there's a there's a problem. The alien is starting to move. so we've come in to uh, to to see what's going on. and and they had thousands and thousands of people there on the last day as the ride was as people were riding the 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 old version for the last time but it was surrounded by all of the all this theater and since then of course the bulldozers and everything have come in they've taken out the old the old track and just just this week the new tracks arrived from america and they put out this video again of these black lorries transporting this stuff towards the park and again they've got all of these um these guys dressed in these costumes and it's they're actually building the ride in character so the, the the people with the overalls and everything are actually doing the work and they keep putting these videos out updating people on what's happening and you know to avoid the alien bursting out we're having to do this and we're having to make changes and there's, there was another youtube video just came out the other day which was almost in the style of a news report so they'd actually hired an actress i guess to do and we're here at alton towers and the phalanx have been here in control and blah 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 and it's this is genuine theater now i suppose when i think about it it's a theme park isn't it and they always get immersed within the 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 theming but as a marketing thing to keep people interested in what's happening with effectively what we're doing is we're putting a new track on a fairground ride they've turned it into a a genuine story with striking visuals um special effects almost proper film sets that they've built around this place to make it look like you know it's genuinely been taken over by this mystical organization that is to me the investment in that is fabulous and i've never wow. come ac- i've just never come across a bit of marketing like that it's just it is genuinely unique and i, I i've never been on this ride because it, it just looks terrifying but i just think i just find the whole thing is utterly fascinating, and and because we always get so excited about really interesting marketing, this is genuinely one of the most interesting
1: pieces of marketing I've seen for a very long time, Pascal. Thank you very much. There's a lot going on there, but for me, if I may link it to what I've just said, you know, here's an example of emotion, novelty, and creative insight. There is no way some machinery could have come up with that because actually, this is yeah. tapping into popular culture. Because I had flashbacks of Jurassic Park and Men in Black, and so on. It was also very similar, but on a much greater scale and a much longer uh, timeline. What they did with uh, to the Tomorrow War, you know, about the Clickers, and mm-hmm. they, they had like cages on, on in different parts of Hollywood. What what I like about it is back to this idea of transforming something that is essentially uh, inconvenience to the the public um, and, and so on. And, and let's let's be frank, and you know, it would be a mess the halton towers you know, in terms of diggers and, and whatever. So Turning something that would be inconvenience and and ugly looking into something that uh, is going to make people talk. I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure they thought about. Getting local community involved and local schools involved, and inviting gamers and all sorts to a uh, special guest and so I mean, you could. So I, I've never seen essentially uh, building work <laughs> yeah. becoming a marketing campaign. It's it's really clever. I know,
0: and, and and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, the absolute inconvenience that the Edinburgh tram workings have been causing for a decade. I mean, they've they've made parts of the city grind to a halt. And of course, they've had to partition off parts of the streets as well. But it's just usually been the keep out danger and all of that just imagine what what would have happened if they'd have engaged with the public mm. in a similar way to the way that Alton Towers have engaged with the public over Nemesis. Yeah, genuinely one of the, the most interesting um, pieces of marketing I've seen for a long time. So really excited to share that today. Pascal, let's slow things down a little bit now and let's talk about some marketing tech and apps. Well, of course, in this part of the show, Pascal, and I bring to the table apps and platforms that can help us and you improve your marketing. So, Pascal, what's on your tech radar this week? So,
1: as always, inspired by my amazing customers and trainees, I'm doing a lot of work on websites at the moment, websites and LinkedIn. It's one of those things, it's been like um, you know, seasons on, on occasion, and a lot of work around either relaunching a website because customers have moved on or the the products have changed and so on or starting a website from fresh and I, i've caught myself um, with nearly 30 years now of um, website development experience just describing things and waving my hands around about things that people have not seen before and it's very very difficult and, and in fact I end up using a flip chart and, and a, pen and just drawing a typical home page and a typical kind of uh, about us page and landing page and all the things that you and i know uh perhaps too well we should get out more sometimes but anyway for 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 the the entrepreneurs and for the for the um marketers it's difficult so I thought is that something that would make life a little easier, even for me as a trainer, as a consultant for them? And I was very, very lucky. Now, interestingly, in France at the moment, there's a lot of people talking about a, a way of building website using a system called Webflow. So I know that you know Wix and Squarespace and WordPress and many others are very popular, but Webflow um is is coming more popular. And I was shown by one of the designers. A platform called ReLoom, which is essentially a library of templates, where you can access the components of typical web pages on Webflow. But what's exciting is that you don't have to be using Webflow to be able to access the library and use it as a um, for inspiration, really, Roger, to think through how your homepage could be laid down differently, or the contact us page, and so on and so forth. And there are literally very, very elegant schematics, you know, with wireframes and greater areas and so on. So very, very quickly, you can kind of visualize where things might go. And because it's very simple and it's a bit of a drag and drop system, you can very quickly build a, um, a visual statement, do a screen capture or download if you want to um, go for the pay plan. with the free plan on this Reloom templates library is already very, very exciting. And they've done a superb job also to split the different web pages to begin with, and then the components of those web pages. And, and frankly, they've covered everything that I would say. So that's a very, very good starting point. And then once you've done that, you have essentially wireframes. It's it's a blank page, if you will, with just um where things might go. So if you want then to have some ideas about colors and photography and, and calligraphy and icons and so on, then I recommend that you go to this website called Site. so it's spelled T-R-E-A and then site.com. And what they've done is they essentially, a bit like you and I, they go on the interweb and capture websites that gets them excited. So then they are organized in terms of personal brand websites and e-commerce websites, and you can also um, deep dive into the About Us sections or the landing page. And what you can see are a real website and you can get inspiration from how they've gone about maybe showing the pricing or the FAQs, so you can supplement your wireframe templates from Reloom and then the kind of examples of what you imagine or what you want to express maybe to your designers or to your team using a Tria site. This is really interesting, mainly for the fact that
0: I, I've been saying to myself probably for the last 18 months that I need to refresh my own website. Um, I. Um Use a template which I can't remember the name of, um, which I originally got from. I think it was en- Envato, mm. um, and it's a it's a WordPress template. So, and I have been saying to myself, Do you know, I think maybe even for my own sanity, I just think I'm a bit fed up with the look and feel. So, if I'm fed up with it, then maybe it's time to change it, and it. it and other people might be thinking the same. So this will be really interesting for me to have a delve through later and see whether I've, that I can pick up any ideas and indeed templates which can help me refresh my own website. So thank you so much for bringing these to the table, Pascal. This week is a bit random for me again. Um, two things. First of all, we've already mentioned the the um, absolute fiasco that's going on at Twitter. Um, And one of the other things I meant to mention earlier in the news item that Twitter have also done is they've barred quite a few organizations from using their API unless they pay a massive Mm. fee. So I did notice that in my Flipboard, and I know you use Flipboard, that quite a lot of the um, things that I subscribe to don't work anymore because they were actually... Coming from Twitter, uh, so there's another thing that Musk is is messing around with and upsetting people. So it's always been in my head is that what, where is the next Twitter? Where can I go? Where I can get that old Twitter experience? Because I have to say, Pascal, Pascal um, Twitter has always been my favourite social media platform. I just like the instantaneousness of it and mm. the and the chattiness of it. It's, you know, it's like being in a virtual pub. Um, but now it just feels. You know polluted and, and i've had a look at mastodon and i and i've mentioned mastodon in uh, marketing tech and apps a few times and i just don't get it. It, it i just can't seem to get it to work i find it difficult to find people um i've found it difficult to get engagements. so i sort of got got a bit fed up with mastodon now i've heard about this new one called blue sky And Blue Sky has actually been set up by Jack Dorsey, who was the was the uh, actual uh, old outgoing Twitter uh, CEO uh, until Musk ousted him. And it promises that Blue Sky will effectively be back to when Twitter was a decent platform, perhaps not as complicated as it got. Uh, just keeping it simple, making it about um, chatty messages, et cetera, et cetera. So I downloaded the app. um, It's on the mobile phone, and I started to go through the process and then hit this little bit of a brick wall, which says that you've got to be invited to it. So all these memories came flooding back of clubhouse and all of that sort of thing. So let's, let's create a little bit of FOMO. So I've joined the email list to get on, to get an invite sent, but I haven't had one yet. So my plea to anybody listening to the show or watching the show today is, are you in blue sky? Will it be worth the wait or will it be a bit of a, Oh, once I'm in clubhouse, I realize actually this is a bit of a damp squib and, i'll just have to move on anyway is it genuinely going to replace twitter so let us know i'll be intrigued and of course as soon as i do get access to blue sky i will come back to the show and update you all on what i think of it second thing um, my pc again is um quite a few years old now it still runs really well it can still handle um adobe premiere pro and, and edit 4k video however i am running windows 10 and you can download this piece of software that tells you whether you can upgrade to windows 11. now when i ran this for the first time about um, a year ago it told me that i couldn't upgrade to windows 11 because windows don't support my cpu so i was a bit disappointed with this um anyway the other day uh, I came across this article, which is called How to Bypass the Windows 11 Requirements. So I read this article and, oh, it looks like quite a lot of people have managed to install Windows 11 without uh, over o- effectively overcoming these parameter changes. So I thought it might be useful for anybody who is actually in the same boat as me. However, there is a caveat to it. I dug deep into this. And there are certain things that you can overcome, like one of them is to do with the BIOS, or the BIOS, which is mm. right in the bowels of the computer. And you can overcome some of these problems just by going into the BIOS and clicking on a few different um things so actually i did that and immediately um some of the red the the red crosses disappeared and re- were replaced with green ticks but unfortunately there's nothing i can do about the fact that windows don't like my cpu it seems so it does say that i could probably manage to get away with it but obviously windows wouldn't support me if anything went wrong because They've effectively told me that uh, they don't support the CPU and I wouldn't get the updates on a regular basis. It would just be a one-off. So I'm having to resign myself to the fact that by the end of 2025, I'm probably going to have to get a new PC. Uh, but I thought that ar- that that article, and the, sh- the link will be in the show notes, will be uh, useful
1: to some people who might be having BIOS issues or something like that, Pascal. No, and as much as you know, you, you say these are the random selections. They are born out of real needs and, yes. and challenges. So, thank you very yep. much, Roger. Because I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, my Mac, I, I'm pushing it because essentially it's also, you know, uh, comfortable and works very, very well. But um, you know, I'm thinking by the end of this calendar year, I I'll probably need to go to the next one. But then there's a whole decision-making process, and uh, to me, <laughs> buying uh, the right computer is is complex. Um, and I always you know I always have this mounting sense of dread because I've got to start to learn inform myself with the articles and so on and and you know that that's to me whereby if there is a way to even delay by a year or so just <laughs> yes. to kind of let, let more importantly for me it's also let the early releases <laughs> out in the marketplace yeah. so that people can find out all the bugs before before you move on with your things but uh, you yeah, know I does not know as well what happens with uh, Blue Sky fascinating that, that should be from Jack Dorsey yeah um in a good way. I mean by that in a, in a good way. If we could um, recapture, you know, what you meant, which is this sense of a connection, real connection, and speed of response, and and I think that as much as there is all sorts, of course, on on the internet, but for me, my experience on Twitter has been. very positive Mm. and in in fact I've got sorry to tell you when we talk about the film marketing today Oh fantastic so Pascal
0: as we always say all of this marketing tech that we luxuriate in today wouldn't be possible if there hadn't been pioneers in the past inventing things and pioneering things so let's set the controls of the TARDIS let's fire up the flux capacitor and let's beam ourselves back in time to this week
1: in history (music) And in 1927, the Record Act is launched to simplify bank records. The machine, sold by a newly formed subsidiary of the Eastman Kodak Company, photographed bank checks into 60mm film. In 1978, the first spam was sent.
0: Gary Thurk, a digital equipment corporation marketer, composed a message
1: promoting the DEC System 20 computer. In 1952, Mr. Potato Head is the first toy advertised on television. This commercial literally caused a marketing and industrial boom with over 1 million kits sold in the first year. In
0: 1993, the World Wide Web is born. Sir Tim Berners-Lee transferred the code for the web browser and the World Wide Web in the public domain on the 30th of April, 1993. Wow. round of applause, oh. Oh, what a gift. He's been doing the circuit recently, hasn't he? Been doing talks to celebrate this 30th Course, anniversary. You? Um, and yeah, fascinating to hear him talk about that. Just think of the, everything that we, the world is built on today, we can trace back to him. I mean, mm. it, it, we always make that sort of almost like jokey introduction to this part of the show, don't we? We say we always have this debt to the people in the past who pioneered things, but... We can trace so much of the modern world back to Tim Berners-Lee, and it was only 30 years ago. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. So the time of recording for us, it will be in in the next few days. What is fascinating is just that. So I believe the the idea, the proposal was 1989, 1990. It was internal, 1993 released to the world uh, in the public domain because it was free access to information knowledge to make the world a better place. When you watch interviews of um, Tim Berners-Lee, because he wasn't a surgeon yet in '93, and there's a vision about the social web and a vision about connecting people and access to information, and he's never veered away from that. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. literally, and then he he also created you know other groups to to be, be the custodian of essentially um, the the internet to be not controlled by governments and, and that kind of things. You had standards with the W three C. I mean, he's never stopped. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know it's it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, I I just love that uh, that historical element here, um, mm. and 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 the fact that he's out there now still pioneering it is fantastic however <laughs> talking about gary and his first spam <laughs> sent out we still we haven't fixed it have we we're still absolutely you know even this week um, And it's ironic because in my famous john the Wineman speech which i gave at the um the youpreneur uh, summit a few years back um i used an example of sub- subscribing to a webinar and then getting literally an an hourly email from the webinar um, thing and the fact that this guy was running the webinar was in america which meant that he was eight hours behind so when i woke up one morning i'd like eight emails all from the same person saying eight hours to go seven hours to go, six hours to go five hours to go and and I did a similar thing this week. I signed up to a, a webinar, and I started getting these emails again. And in the end, I thought, oh, do you know what? Just bugger off. I've had enough of you. So I unsubscribed from it, and and ended up not watching the the webinar. So just be careful, people. Just be mm. careful email is a very very powerful tool but like so many of the marketing tools that we have access to these days it's very easy to cross the line from something that's engaging to something that's enraging and once you enrage your customer they turn off and that's the end of the of the um relationship
1: uh, to me it's just madness It happened in 1978 but i thought it would be much sooner but of course these were closed circuit um uh, network should i say um email but for memory, it wasn't just that it was sent once; he kept repeating itself over <laughs> and over again because of either of human error, or actually, it was it was on 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 purpose. But uh, so already in 1978, sadly, Roger marketing was getting a bad name. Uh, I'm going to kind of ask you very quickly, just because I'm um, I'm thinking a lot about you know this week in history and what we said about um, Sir Tim Berners Lee. Do you remember? Um, maybe your first web browser because you can't have been obviously google or chrome and do you remember the very first websites that you were involved in making i'm pretty sure that um
0: that my first web browser would would have been would it have been netscape Did, was is that was that a browser or am I misremembering? No,
1: that? no, it would have. I mean, if you um, put the CD-ROM on your computer, yeah. you had it, you know, yeah. let's get took over. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually
0: think that the first website I was involved in creating was actually uh, my own website, wow. and I used a piece of my Windows software now, which. Again, that the the what I remember looking at something called Dreamweaver, but that was far too complicated. So whatever the Microsoft website creation software was Mm. sort of in the in the um, early 2000s late 90s early 2000s that's what I used um I'd have to look it up but uh, it was quite clunky and obviously it wasn't anywhere near as um, intuitive as WordPress and I remember it was very hard to actually get anything to look good but it was basically just a website with with photographs of the family on but I I was quite uh n- i i did i did buy RogerEdwards.co.uk very early on i think in the early 90s um even though i didn't have a use for it I didn't even know what it was going to turn out on. so <laughs> as soon as i got that software i was able to uh to build something well pascal again I think we've just proved it we owe such a massive debt to the people in history but now let's bring ourselves right up to date and talk about some people who are doing things in the present let's move on to create a shout outs okay pascal who are you giving a shout out
1: for this week so this week i have to say it's a very pleasant surprise so for reason that are uh, unclear to me, but I'm going to say it's to do the LinkedIn algorithm, on my feed, only a few days ago, I saw this post post from Aileen Smith and Karen Campbell, who are the co host of the Shiron Eats Performs podcast series. Uh-huh. Um, I know Aileen Smith, and uh, nice to e-meet you know, her co-host Karen Campbell, who are celebrating a third anniversary as podcast creators and hosts of this reality with you and I. But I, w- I was kind of thinking, why am I seeing it, bar from the That of course Ellen Smith and I are connected. But that's you know was a lovely reminder of the weather they've done. So I I became curious, of course. I I went into it. And I have to tell you, there's a lot there to, to be kind of celebrated, three third anniversary, of course, but also their approach and of course the content. So to begin with, from a marketing lessons point of view, they've done something very interesting. They have created a company page for the podcast. And I'm paying attention, thinking, "Oh, that, that's interesting." So I put the the, the link in, in the show notes, and then you've got, you know, the statement, you know, easy to understand sports nutritional concepts and easy to implement tips and plans for female runners of all abilities. If there was ever, you know, clarity. And simplicity in, in there. That's very important. And I think that all of us need to also consider that with our product and services and our shows. So they are both nutritional therapists. And what I like about it, you know, they have a clear, clear audience in mind. And you can see that on their profile on LinkedIn, nutrition for midlife women who run. Again, clear audience profiling, clear statement in terms of what they can do. And they are both co-founders of the Runners Health Club. And then in terms of the episodes, um, they have two. So they have um, responding to listeners' questions, which I think is great. So they, they receive questions. You, you and I always you know, invite people to do so. So they can range from how to overcome anxiety under uh, under rest conditions. Uh, what should I eat prior to a fast five k race? And the one that um, I was, I didn't know people could do that. What food and snack would I, would I eat during my forthcoming seventy k ultra run? It's <laughs> like I didn't know that people could cover that distance. But um, good luck all of you. And then they themselves. Um, are real experts because when you read about the questions they answer they going back to what we mentioned about French fishkin and and the bar and you know the kind of moving away from what just what people would do so you have this idea of um using nutritional tools to help you decide on what and how much food should be on your plate you know the of scientific thinking around supporting athletes immune system the signs and symptoms of hamstring injuries. And so he goes on. So there's really some real expertise being shared there, not just doing essentially what maybe the keyword research would tell you and not paraphrasing the others. So once again, congratulations really for the three year, uh, years of production of the podcast, but there's some great marketing lessons in there as well. That's
0: really good. And, of course, um, with my alter ego as a fitness instructor, um, uh, I love things like this. But the lesson as well is also, and it's just like you say, as marketers, I guess we always veer towards, well, I'll have to listen to Marcus Sheridan's latest podcast or I'll need to go and, and listen to another marketing guru. But sometimes what you really need to do is to look at people completely different industries. And this is a perfect example. You know, it's a bit out of our, out of our industry in terms of topic, but you can learn from the way that people do podcasts about different topics and bring those into your own business. So I I really, really like that. My shout out this week is for a lady called Maria Franzoni, and she runs a company called the Speaking Business Academy. Now it's funny that I was just slagging off um, spam and, and bad email, etiquette before i um i subscribed to maria's email uh, newsletter uh, probably about a year ago and it comes out on a saturday morning and it comes out on a saturday morning about about 9 30 now on a saturday morning i teach a body balance class just down the road at um Bannertine's health club and then after that body balance class pretty much every week if, the, if the, unless the weather's totally awful i then go down to fisherow harbor my favorite place in the entire world grab myself a coffee and i just sort of chill out for 45 minutes to an hour drinking that coffee watching the boats bobbing around on the water having a chat to people if they're there or not watching the seagulls you name it; it is a great place to chill but since i subscribe to maria's email it hits my inbox pretty much as i'm leaving Bannatyne's heading towards Fisher Harbour. so now I tend to read and I, and I do have to say I do try to make my um, Saturday at the harbour non-business and I just make it a time for reflection but actually I really enjoy Maria's emails and I always start off my uh, my coffee at the harbour by by reading. And, and now she used to run a speaker's bureau, a speaker's agency, you know, a company that places speakers with events. So she's got a lot of experience. So if you're looking to build your speaking business, she talks more about the what I would say the business of speaking as opposed to how to speak. So she's almost assuming that you're a good public speaker what she can help you with is how to market yourself as an individual how to negotiate your fee how to build a a show reel or a sizzle reel whatever you want to call it so she's very much about the business of speaking so if that's of interest i would recommend uh signing up to this newsletter and you know just going back to the spam comment before you're not going to get eight emails a day from maria it's once a week on a Saturday, and it's always full of
1: really good stuff. Right, two examples really about true expertise, yeah, and and how you find ways to communicate it. You know, depending on the, on the media and so on. And, and to me, that's how I start to to feel reassured that there is still a bright future for marketers, communicators. We just need to be more vocal, more visible, so that the white noise and nonsense is pushed to one side. Absolutely right, Pascal we've got here it's time for film
0: marketing we're going to talk about monsters under the ground not the nemesis roller coaster we're going to be talking about gigantic monsters under the ground let's move into our film marketing part of the show well this week pascal we are going to talk about a film from 1990 it's your choice it's your Mm -hmm. choice it's called tremors let's watch the trailer Welcome to Perfection, Nevada. Land of opportunity. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Where a man can make... Oh, oh. A clean living. See, we plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. Earl,
1: explain it to me. Hey,
0: Bendy. What's the count?
1: Six hundred and forty. In Perfection, they say there's nothing new under the sun,
0: but under the ground. are absolutely unprecedented. But where do they come from? I vote for outer space.
1: No way these are local boys. How could
0: they bury a whole station wagon? Now this valley is just one long smorgasbord. We can make it! Ah! That's how they get you. They're under the ground. Oh, no! Emperor prayer dog, Burl. We arm ourselves. We set perimeters.
1: We stand guard. Hey. Kevin Bacon. Hey.
0: We could get in People Magazine. Fred Ward. Seven. People. Tell. National Jay. Geographic. Jay. Tremors. We decided to leave this place just one damn day too late. Hey. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Now, as I said earlier, Pascal, I only watched this film for the first time two nights ago, but I know that you're a massive fan of this film,
1: and actually you watch it every year, don't you? Oh, completely. I mean, (laughs) so I first saw it in 1990, the year of the release in France, in Bordeaux. There was a, um, or still is a cinema, which was an old theatre converted into cinema, so the outside of the building. It's this grand kind of um, stone building, and for our viewers and listeners who are from a younger age, in the in the nineteen nineties or the eighties, we used to turn up at the cinema and just see what was there. Do you remember those days where we didn't yeah. know we because there was no kind of uh, IMDb or Yahoo's movies and so on? So you would literally turn up and the movies look up at the posters above the the entrance. And with my then girlfriend, we saw this poster for Tremors, and went, "Oh, I want I-, I want to see that." So we pay the tickets and. Then my heart, said, my heart had to sing because we were taken down the corridor and we were taken to the last screening room at the bottom <laughs> of this long corridor, which was always a sign of a movie that wasn't really that good. Uh-huh. So it was like at the back of the the, the the proper screening rooms, small room. There was maybe 20, 30 people in that room. And it was the most joyous moment or one of the most joyous moments in my kind of moving, going uh, life. Um, I... We we liked, we cheered, we got scared, we 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 love everything. And this experience basically, I, I want to go through it again um once a year, so from VHS cassette to then DVDs to Blu-rays and so on. And it wasn't until I did the research for the marketing campaign that I realized that, um, you know, I wasn't the only one. I, mean, I knew I wasn't the only one, but that there was a, such a movement around the farm to the point where when I was doing the research, I think I put the tweet saying, oh, I'm doing some research on tremors. And I came across this video um, of a speech by Gail Ann Hurd, who was the exec producer on tremors. And within milliseconds, back to your point about Twitter, the um, the collective on the, the um, Twitter account, that The Tremors Saga, um, responded, give me links and informations and tell me to go there and give me names and so on. <laughs> and the, the Tremors Saga is a collective of the original filmmakers and cast as well as a fan base. And it so happens that today, as we are recording this film acting review of Tremors, is also day one of the three-day Tremors oh. Fest in Santa Fe in New Mexico. Wow.
0: Well, as I said, Pascal, this film has escaped me. I've, I haven't <laughs> watched it. I've never seen it until two days ago. Now, uh, funnily enough, I was t- I was saying to um, Tricia, um, we need we need to watch Tremors, and and there was almost a look for a moment of despair in her face. She says, "Oh, that's something to do with Kevin Bacon and worms, isn't it?" Um, and I and I sort of. It immediately thought, oh, no, this is going to be a really tacky B movie. So I actually didn't have very high expectations. Uh, I just thought it was one of these films that f- has somehow become, you know, a cult classic for, for, for no reason. Um, I have to say, I'll preface this by saying the copy that we actually ended up watching was was quite a ropey dvd and it wasn't the clearest of pictures which is an absolute shame because what i thought initially was that the scenery of this film was absolutely spectacular Mm. the the location was utterly stunning and i would love to see a 4k um blu-ray version of this just for that fact but the fact is we loved the film and it's nice and short 90 minutes uh, you can always guarantee that a film is worth watching if trisha doesn't go to sleep during it and she was awake <laughs> all the way through it and um, and loved it and yeah it was i thought it was the the cast were excellent i thought the storytelling was good the visuals you know even even though it was mechanical effects you know they got away with most of it they got away with most of it there was no ropey green screen as far as i could see Mm
1: -hmm. and the
0: mechanical effects worked well it was quite there was a lot of tension um the, the the cast as well absolutely nailed it and i thought kevin bacon and his relationship they kept doing um
1: um, oh but, man, but, that's from uh, my youth. Drew, the, you <laughs> know, scissors, paper, cut paper scissors, yeah. and all
0: that—that um, that was quite funny. In fact, I thought I'd spotted a. I thought I'd spotted a, a trend in that uh, the other guy. I can't remember his name. Um, Earl, Ward. Uh, yeah. Ward, he, yeah, He always did scissors, and I thought. I thought, is that are they going to build up to something that? Um, Kevin Bacon always loses because the other guy always does scissors, but the final time they did it It was the opposite way around and Kevin Bacon did scissors. So anyway, I was wrong about that, but it was quite funny Um, but it just what what I thought here it reminded me a little bit of 1970s Doctor Who and and funnily enough We are actually watching a few of the old John Pertwee series now and one of the reasons why Doctor Who worked back in the 70s was even though the sets were obviously made out of cardboard and polystyrene even though the monsters were obviously made out of rubber it was the actors who utterly believed in the script and they mm-hmm. delivered it as if they believed absolutely and no question about how real it was and that made it work and to me that's what happened here Yes, those mechanical effects, if you really examine them, if you did a freeze frame, you'd probably see, well, it's just a rubber rubber worm. But I just thought the actors, the conviction was so real that they carried the entire movie and genuinely made it scary and genuinely made
1: it exciting because they utterly believed in what they were doing. And it was, you know, um, problem solving after problem solving. And and what, what I think, I mean, I know this is not a filmmaking review, but you can't help but be impressed by the de- determination. But also the quality, you talk about the location, but let's talk about, you know, the script writing. You know, we, we have the work of Stephen S. Wilson and Brent Maddock, who mm-hmm. were inspired by actually an idea they had when they were younger, the, the the director, Ron Hunderwood, who committed so much, and all the producers, from um, Gail Anahad, which I mentioned, to Ginny J- Nudgeons and Ellen Collett. And the reason why I mentioned their names, Roger, is is as follows. It's because here we are talking about this movie 33 years ago, and they themselves you know had to go through a very painful phase where, for reasons actually were totally unfounded, they went through a phase where they were linked to a, fa- a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is kind of interesting to explore, to explore in a moment. Uh, one thing that I love as well about the movie uh, because it's everything you mentioned and also the music. The, the music uh, it captures the tonality of, mm-hmm. of the movie well. So when it's scary it's and music matches but when there's something quite like hearted where, you know, I mean, some of the dialogues which we saw so in, in the trailer are just, you know, so, so funny and, and you've got all that going on and something they did really cleverly which is the mark of that kind of indie spirit of, of filmmaking is, you know, casting, again, Types. So you had, for example, the character of Bert, you know, played by Michael Gross from Family Ties, who was a kind of a gentle uh, family movie with a very young Michael J. Fox. You know, you had um, people like Victor. One, we had a very young Ryan um, Ryan Richards, sorry, who plays Mindy, the young girl with a, the pogo stick. who Three years later, yeah. will, will be in Jurassic Park. So you've got all that going on. And when you watch, um, and as I did, you know, be more by the documentary. There was not one individual who was not committed to make this movie work. And I think that's why we are where we are uh, all those years ago. And I certainly, if I may address the filmmakers and producers, I've converted two people to the the (laughs) the Tramers um, kind of franchise. I think I've done my bit. But shall we move on very quickly then, Roger, if you don't mind, to the film marketing. So this movie was released in the U.S. um, 19th of January, 1990. And it begins in November '89. So that's a bit brief, but you know we, we are where we are. Where a teaser trailer was released um, in in theaters, and the one that we saw a moment ago. Can I just say I, I loved the uh, the hiss and the crackle of the of a '90s kind of uh, VHS cassette. And my my view would be, and you've seen it obviously more recently, that this trailer did a very good job to capture all the elements of the story did a, a big job to show the practical special effects without showing the graboids yeah absolutely right and
0: again i, I guess you know i i did i did make a sort, sort of um comparison to jaws with this film mm. when i was watching it with trisha and i did think that they kept they were very good at actually keeping the worms mainly hidden for the majority of the movie you don't actually see them on screen for that long. You know, the, the editing is so good. You get a mm. glimpse enough to scare you and then they cut back to the characters. And And I, I mean, in, we know that the Jaws was an incredible film in terms of um, tension and the way they built it up. But ultimately, it was a rubber shark and, and, and you can't really look at it very closely mm. to see and, and to actually ruin the illusion. And it's the editing of the film that creates the tension
1: by keeping it hidden. And I think they did that remarkably well here. Yeah. And for me, what was interesting on the kind of second or third watch of the trailer was I didn't realize um somehow that there was also a nice tongue in cheek selection of the music, the mm-hmm. journey really be good, you know, um checking yeah. going on. So you've got all that. The, the trailer was supported by TV and Radio Spots, interestingly, mm-hmm. 15 seconds and 30 seconds, which proves the point that you can say a hell of a lot in 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah. The one, the, the two that stood out for me, um, there was one um, that was including reference to the older horror movies of the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, as a reminder, uh, everyone, of course, the filmmakers were inspired by their youth, like you and I would be, um, <laughs> with regard to spending time watching very late at night where the parents say you should be uh, sleeping and watching TV, um, black and white horror movies. And in fact, the uh, the script, you know, of that particular TV spot says, first, there was Frankenstein, then Dracula, and then you had a black and white, you know, kind of things. And the creature from the Black Lagoon that scared me senseless when I was a child. And now there is something no one has ever seen before, because it's under the ground. So she have got all that going on, um, which I think is, is superb. But of course, as well as um, the trailers, they organize, Roger, and you can tell us a bit more about it, some, some visits to the set.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've done. It's remarkable how much information you've managed to dig up, Pascal. <laughs> see that. we we'll see what I did there. Uh, dig up um, about this film given that it was 33 years ago. But, yeah, January 1990, the, to promote the film's release, the studio organised a press junket in Lone Pine, California, which is where the the movie was filmed. I mean, what a great location. I, I still come back to that. The scenery was stunning. I'd love to have gone there. I'd love to go there. Mm. And, and journalists were given a tour of the set, and they were able to
1: interview all the cast and all the crew. And what is interesting, this was a repeated um for Lord of the Rings. So, uh, our, one of our very first film marketing reviews were Lord of the Rings and, and we reported on that, but it started much earlier. What I think is also important is to realize that, um, Lone Pine, um, well, the, um, the set was built. There was nothing. It was just sand mm-hmm. and rocks and, and this magnificent mountain range, you know, as, as a backdrop. Everything was, was built. Because this was an indie movie and they had to be careful about money and expenditure, they sometimes went around places like Lone Pine and the other kind of small towns and were buying um, sh- wooden sheds and wooden houses of people who would just derelict and just build them again to create the town of perfection, which is also, I think, very, very <laughs> cheeky of the of um, the filmmakers who are going to make a film about perfection. And so then he moved on to, of course, print advertising. Now, sadly, um, unless there is uh, some librarian and archivist of the um, of the f- filmmaking business, I couldn't find any yeah. um, kind of examples to show you. Needless to say, though, they, they carried on that kind of tongue-in-cheek, humorous style where images, I don't know what they are, with a strap line, the monster movie that breaks new ground. That's <laughs> so good, and and again, January nineteen
0: ninety, Universal Pictures also launched a radio advertising campaign, and again, there was the humor in there. A, a lot of fake news reports about tremors felt in a new small to, in that small town in Nevada. Again, I, I'm going back to um, content spotlights and what what uh, Alton Towers are doing with the phalanx. It's it's making something up and, and surrounding the, the film with other content other theming it's i I just love this whole this episode has really worked for me because we've had these interlinking (laughs) um, themes but again you know these radio spots great fun and but they suck people into, into the environment, don't they? Make you believe in what's happening and it, it becomes almost real. It's it's just so so interesting.
1: Yes, um, but to your point, sorry, Roger, this was nineteen nineties. So that's what I love about film marketing, because you go back to techniques and 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 really strategies where it's when actually you have limitations when you're up against it that you can with something quite quite innovative can i just give someone the shout out because <laughs> this radio spot i knew its existence purely from the point of view of research, but I didn't know I would even actually find it. <laughs> and we have a gentleman called Tim Tim Salmons, who's the host of the movie and video game TV spots, YouTube channel. And I was able to um, find it and listen to it. And and it's great. It's a fake news report about strange things happening in, uh, in a, not far from Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. And, and of course, again, all the way through January, 1990, we've got the stars, Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Um, an interview in the Chicago Tribune with producer Gail and her discussing the film's appeal she said it's a combination of humor and horror it doesn't take itself too seriously and that's one of the things that sets it apart from other monsters I think they got that balance absolutely right because it's very easy in a film like this that is trying to be funny to go too far the wrong way and you actually become a parody of yourself and you're actually sending yourself up and a lot of movies make that mistake. I think this one didn't, and that's one of the reasons why it's so good. Uh, and again, another interview um, in the Los Angeles Times. Uh, Ron Underwood, the director, discussed the challenges of marketing the film. It's difficult to convey the convey the tone of the movie in a trailer. It's not a horror movie. It's not a comedy. It's not a satire. It's a little bit of all of those things. But I think they managed it remarkably. Um, so, So there were some challenges, though, Pascal, wasn't there? In the marketing of this film,
1: yeah, thank you. what what you just read, <clears throat> excuse me, is um give me a wonderful segue into you know what we now know because it's been documented. they' they've actually shared you know the los Angeles in in documentaries about what they they had created, which was a, a tribute to 1950s monster movies mm-hmm. who used to take themselves very seriously and and it would be scary, but bring the humor of the 1990s. Because in fact, that was that paved the way into more movies who then used to have the one-liners and so on. And, and it's almost like the history of, if I may use an analogy of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, the first two <laughs> were very, very dark and scary, but the third one, you know, Dream Warriors, went actually very humorous. So... There was back and forth. There was disagreement, to put it um, mildly, between the filmmakers and the studios who wanted uh, to to have a simple message. They wanted essentially to go for a straightforward horror movie and to emphasize the scares and actually uh, tone down the humor because the studios thought the humor would actually put people off and turn audiences away. But you know they kept going. But the major um, point of uh, of contention was the poster, so. The the filmmakers wanted a poster that was enigmatic, I would say, uh, in term, and the two were fighting and fighting. They actually wanted the graboids to be on the poster, and I think the compromise was for people who've seen the film to just show one of the tentacles, you know, with the teeth, the tendrils with the teeth. Um, so that the full monster wasn't revealed. But for the filmmakers, they felt that it was too close to Jaws, oddly produced uh, um, distributed by Universal Pictures as well as Trainers, and th- there was definitely um, tension there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the poster now, and yet yeah, you've got the characters um, stood above ground, and for that mm-hmm. you could almost see the surface of the water in the Jaws poster, and then below the surface you've got this, Great big um, set of teeth, which is is so close to the um, to the jaws poster. I, I was very struck by that, but I still think it's quite effective.
1: And I've loved it. I mean, I've said it since the 90s yeah. and from Vietjeska and so on. And this in, in terms of the studio, they didn't really um, you know, cut corners. They used the artist Bob Peake, who would be known to fans for doing posts like the Star Wars, original trilogy, Apocalypse Now, Superman, and so on. So they, 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 there was a real artist behind it. They did look at other options where the gruboids um, were not present. What I will say is that not as effective. So I get it. It's not nice sometimes to... I suppose you worried that someone's going to say, "Oh, all you've done is rip off Jaws." Although I would argue there are far worse movies to be compared with <laughs> than, than, than Jaws, of course. Um, so that leads all this leads to the premiere yeah. um, in 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 January. Uh, listen, you know, number five behind Born on the Fourth of July, Tango and Cash, The War, The Roses, and Internal Affairs. That's not bad for an indie movie with a small budget of ten million. I know ten million dollars is a lot of money, but compared to the other four, but unfortunately, and marketing uh, plays a role in that. Maybe it was too short. Maybe there wasn't enough going on. the The sales, you know, on the opening weeks were disappointed, and somehow the conclusion was this is a failure. Mm-hmm. But there goes, you know, the, the story carries on because weeks later and month later, then we move into home video rental, we move into television screening on channels and so on, and suddenly Tremors just becomes this incredible success. And I can confirm that was the case because I was working in a video store in the 90s, it was still the most rented films in 90, 1990, 1991, 92. That's incredible, isn't
0: it? And yeah. Then all the way through the last (laughs) thirty years, it's become this cult film, and now, of course, it's available on Blu-ray. There's there's definitely a four K version. I checked. And as I say, I'd love to uh, love to see it even just for that scenery <laughs> just for the scenery before we even get into the into the plot and everything that that has to be seen in 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 higher quality. Um, but it, it's remarkable, isn't it, how the momentum has been kept up for this film all the way through. Even something I just noticed there is that the website is still ex- in existence. Mm-hmm. Thirty years yeah. on, now th- this is this is remarkable because we've done reviews of films where the websites disappeared within months, whereas this one they've kept up the momentum over the time. Obviously, to promote the videos and the, the Blu-rays and the and the four K uh, uh, UHD, but
1: it's remarkable the momentum that they've kept going with this. And you know, back to the the team behind the Tremors Saga who helped me. And point me in the right directions. Um, yeah. You can find the YouTube channel of, of the producers, directors, where they have their own home movies. So, are we talking about people walking around with um, cameras filming in sixteen millimeters and having to convert into digital? So, you have um, um, one with one of the producers called the Lost Files, where you can mm-hmm. see the actors and and the crew laughing and trying to get you know the practical effects working and so on. It's just absolutely glorious. And within that, I discovered I discovered something that I think um, is going to be great for you to know. So, uh, of course, there are documentaries. Of course, there's been things. But there's also a book called Seeking Perfection, Mm -hmm. The Unofficial Guide to Tremors, written by John Melville. Mm -hmm. He was interviewed as part of the documentary, and I said, this is an accent that I recognize. I (laughs) want to find out that John Melville, the author of the book Seeking Perfection, lives in edinburgh I, ah. thought, I must tell roger and perhaps if i may be so bold we could have john um on, on the show one of those days to tell well, us more that, about you know, tremors
0: that would be really interesting i didn't know that so um fantastic fantastic link there and and, and again there's uh this, that, I think what really just gets me about this is the momentum that, this, that has carried on throughout all of this time. And I am so glad, Pascal, that you chose this film because I, I would probably not have watched it because I just had it in my head that it was a, a very cheap flick from the 90s that wasn't very successful and was, was badly made and had rubbish effects and rubbish you sort of B-movie um, feel to it, when in fact it is... As you say, pretty much near to perfection. I think it's not about seeking perfection; it was actually creating perf- perfection. And uh, always nice mm. to see um, Kevin Bacon um, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a role in his in his younger years. I think uh, he's one. He is one of my favourite actors from when I was younger. And mm. uh, yeah, fantastic. So Pascal, thanks for choosing this. I think we should wrap up the show now. This mm-hmm. has been a great show. I just loved the way that we've intertwined all of the themes. We've had monsters under the ground, we've we've reset Twitter uh, and we've looked at some <laughs> great tech as well. So tell us what you think about all the things that we've discussed today. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, please do get in touch. You can speak to us on Twitter, you can you can contact us through the um, the YouTube channel, leave us a comment there, or Pascal, we can you can leave us a message on Speakpipe. Remind me how Speak that Pipe.
1: happens. Yes, thank you very much. Just go on the webpage speakpipe.com forward slash two gigs and a marketing podcast. You can record an audio message which will play on the show for you, and we can respond and react to your comment and request. And as always, do please let us know what you think of the
0: content let us know what you'd like us to review if you've come up if you've seen any apps that are working for you and your business tell us what they are so we can we can have a go and, and review them as well and tell us what films you have enjoyed recently you'd like us to dig deep into the marketing. So thank you once again for watching. Thank you for listening to Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. Until the next episode, please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. As always, I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.